away for now, but that's sick, mate. That sounds absolutely awesome. There is a responsibility to condition athletes mentally in the same way that there is to condition them physically. So I think that has to sit at the start of everything that you do when it comes to pressure training. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Pete Olushaga and this is 80% Mental, a podcast all about the psychology of sport and performance. Welcome to another episode in this third series in which I'm exploring the psychology of various aspects of performance. And in this episode, I'm going to be exploring the psychology of pressure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that we've all experienced pressure from time to time. But we're going to dive into exactly what pressure is, some of the impacts that it can have on how we think, how we feel, maybe how we perform, and how we can manage pressure more effectively. And to do that, I've got the perfect guest with me, Dr. Mike Stoker. Mike, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. How are you? Awesome. It's good. And also, we're, this is the first episode that I've recorded uh, live in person, apart from the ones that I did at ASP. So Mike and I are currently sitting on my living room floor. <laughs> we're starting a new trend. We're starting a new trend. Yeah, this is the way to go. Um, but by way of introduction, Mike gained his master's in sports psych at Loughborough and a PhD in pressure training at Sheffield Hallam. Uh, he joined the UK Sport Institute, which was formerly the EIS, in 2012, and has worked with several Olympic and para sports, most recently British gymnastics. Uh, Mike, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, so welcome to 80% Mental. Thank you very much for having me on this beautiful carpet in your uh, beautiful <laughs> house. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, well, just before we get into the topic then, I'd love to hear a bit about how you got into sports psych, because I know you talked a bit before about um, martial arts as being kind of a vehicle for you getting into, into psychology. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was a kid, I uh, grew up in a, a small place um, in relatively North Scotland, and um, there wasn't that many good sporting options around there. There was uh, rugby and football, um, uh, but one of the sports that was uh, known to be really good quality in terms of coaching um, was was kickboxing. So I started doing that and relatively early on then realised that you could influence the certainly the start of a fight, mm. um, if not the, the, the end as well, um, through body language. So it sounds like super basic and it is, um, it, it really is the basics of imitating behaviors that you would associate with being dominant being aggressive right um and me and my coach a guy called lee sansom who, who was my coach at the time um he would talk to me about psychology and i can remember thinking about uh thinking about the ways i could change the way that i'm walking up and down the map before the fight starts off yeah and, um and i and i do think i could tell that it had that visual impact on on the way that my opponent would start off their fight, if not slightly more on the back foot, that gives you that slight edge. Um, so again, it's like super basic stuff about psychology and behavior, yeah. but that was really the the origins of me realizing that this was something that I was just innately um, interested in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So then there was the studying and the MSc, the PhD in pressure training. And 
obviously you're working now as a uh, as a technical lead at yeah. UKSI. Yeah. Um, you tell me a bit about kind of that and, yeah. and sort of what that involves. Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, uh, it's uh, the UK Sports Institute or UKSI, formerly uh, EIS, English Institute of Sport. Mm. Uh, shout out to all the uh, UKSI sites <laughs> on the team, um, if any listen. At the minute, I'm a technical lead um, and not working with the sport, which um, basically involves helping and supporting the wider team of around 30 or so um, sports psychologists that work in the sports, mm. delivering on the front line, if you will, um, supporting them in their in their delivery, essentially, so it, uh, they can seek support on interventions that they're delivering, um, on personal development. Um, it, it can just be a sounding board. It can be a check and challenge. So there's that aspect of the technical input and um, coordination, collaboration with the, the sites on the front line. Yeah. And then there's also um, project work. Um, that that we do. So the the technical lead team that on there's about five of us, and some of the projects that um, that we work on are things like supporting the application of our products, which um, the USI products are essentially kind of contextually developed approaches or tools that you uh, use in sports on the front line that practitioners use, um, such as super strengths, which I know you you're familiar with from the work that. My colleague, our, our good friend, yeah, yeah. Dr. Kate Ludlam does. Um, pressure training um, is, is, is one of our products as well. Um, and so, yeah, our project work also can involve the development of these products, the application of them in sports, supporting of practitioners and utilising them. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of what being a technical lead is. Yeah, awesome. So you've got a lot on your plate. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... <laughs> a it's a great pressure. A lot of pressure, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> When, uh, when I was doing my PhD, you know, uh, you get so used to like uh, being associated with a certain thing that, um, that 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 word like under pressure, working under pressure, like the song of my PhD was Love that, you got a soundtrack to your PhD. I don't know what mine would have been. All right then, Mike. Let, let's let's dive straight into the questions then, um, because, like I said, you know, I think pressure is something that everyone has experienced at some point, yeah. And whether we're involved in elite sport or not, probably we've all experienced pressure. It's kind of an inescapable facet of life, almost. But I, I just wonder if we could start off by maybe talking a little bit about what pressure is and and maybe what it isn't as well. So, pressure can be defined on a couple different levels. And it can also be defined as a stimulus or as a response. So within that, you get different definitions in the literature. Um, so when I say levels, that could be, you could define it on a um, behavioral level. So that would be something like uh, potentially choking or coping. You could define it on an emotional level. So that could be something like nerves, excitement. You could define it on a biological level, which you might say adrenaline or cortisol. And then you could define it on a cognitive level, mm-hmm. uh, which would be uh, the experience of, um, and and this is the way that we define it, the experience of it being important to perform really well, 
Right. So the perception of an importance to, to nail it. So on that cognitive level, that's kind of where we focused our definition. And in terms of the stimulus versus response, um, you can see from that definition that it's the response side that we are focusing on. So our definition yeah. is that cognitive response the perception of it being absolutely important to, to nail it and perform well. Right. So it sounds a little bit like it's almost, you're describing it as kind of a felt experience. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. On the cognitive, on the cognitive level. level. Yeah, yeah, on that conscious thought level. Yeah. That's just the definition we go for and the way that we can then leverage that definition to do the work that we need to do. You know, yeah. you, you could, it absolutely can encompass the biological aspect, the emotional aspect. Yeah. You know, so so our definition doesn't mean that those that defining it on those other levels aren't valid and don't um, have worth in how we talk about and and, and use pressure. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's the way that, that we define it is that perception of of performing well. But it absolutely is also about the biology, the yeah, emotion, yeah. the uh, the behaviors too. So so I guess you know, because th- these terms get thrown around a lot, so pressure, stress, you know, mm. like how is, how is it different to, to what we might understand stress to be? Yeah, so one of the reasons why we define it on that cognitive level is because that's the level where you really see the difference between pressure and stress. But on the other levels, the differences kind of dissolve. Mm-hmm. So um, if we just think about it on that cognitive level, we could say that pressure is that um, perception of importance to perform well, like really well. And if we look at stress on a cognitive level, um, uh, people might define that as the perception of a a situation that that is presenting a challenge or or, so, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But within that, you can see that the idea of of having to perform well that's what really is bespoke to pressure mm-hmm. um you know when we think about stress and a stress response it's that's not really about performance it's more about a, a, a need to overcome a, um, a a challenge on a more like evolutionary sense on that cognitive level that's where we can really see the difference between stress and pressure I hope I've ex- I've explained that well, but um, it's, so, yeah. So yeah. so so for me, you know, so my research is in stress. So I would I would describe stress. I as, can't believe I didn't ask you for the definition there. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I was just I was so into trying to no, well, distinguish well, I, you the know, two. It's not about me. It's about you. I want, I want to know what you think. <laughs> um, I blundered there. But I, I think the you know, for me, I would I would describe stress as this imbalance between the demands that we mm-hmm. that we face and yeah. our perception of how we exactly. are able to cope with it, right? Exactly, the Lazarus. So, yeah, so it sounds like pressure, the way you're describing it, it sounds to me like pressure is an outcome almost or a response yeah. to that stress yeah. when those demands are performance-based. Yeah. Is, is that, uh, yeah. that? Yes, that's 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 a nice way of putting it. And and the bit that I'd, that I'd then come back to 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 hopefully shed some more light is on those other levels that's where there's not as much distinction between stress and pressure so if we look on a biological level we're still talking about cortisol we're still talking about adrenaline yeah if we're talking about um on an emotional level we're still talking about nerves or anxiety or um so on the other levels they kind of merge together um but on the uh, on that cognitive level um, your awareness of of what that's like should be different mm-hmm. or, or you know as we're defining it is different when you're when you're having that conscious experience of pressure of that need to have to do something and 
deliver a performance versus, like you say, um, that need to have to overcome a particular challenge that maybe you don't have the resources to do with that challenge potentially not being about a performance. Okay. So thinking about this kind of conscious experience then of, uh, of pressure that you just described, tell me about how people tend to respond to that. Now, obviously everyone's kind of individual, but kind of typically how might people respond to this, this pressure, this kind of cognitive experience? So when it comes to pressure, the brain pulls on systems that are related to a stress response. Like, like we've just spoken about, you know, the biological systems are the same as what happens with stress. The emotional systems are the same. Um, that response will be pretty consistent across people because of how it's kind of in recruiting the stress systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about um, biologically, adrenaline, emotionally, excitement or nerves. Um, um, but on that cognitive level, it will be uh, starting with that experience of that I need to absolutely nail this, and and that and that thoughtful cognizance awareness that that you have to do well, you have to absolutely nail this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we call that the response to to whatever stimulus is, is causing that, um, which could be different depending on what domain you're in. So if you're in business, um, that could be a um a presentation if you're in sport that could be you know selection or something like that mm-hmm. um, but whatever that stimulus is um you've got that response as, as, as we've described it there of that wow i really feel like um i'm, I'm aware that I, I need to absolutely nail this if we want to look at what's after the result we could say that that, that result has an effect um and that is where you'll start to you can start to distinguish between someone who responds well to it and someone who might not be responding adaptively to that pressure. Mm-hmm. People will use different language for what that is, but it's essentially what happens after you experience that pressure. Do you go into a more uh, facilitative um, place emotionally, biologically, um, which would be emotionally we're talking about approaching it, um, leaning into it. Mm-hmm. Biologically, we'd be talking about dopamine underpinning that that. Um, approach behavior yeah. and behaviorally we're talking about literally you know moving towards the the challenge conversely you can imagine that you also have the opposite effect of that where you 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 kind of close inwards you you pull away from it you don't go into that engage mindset um, maybe emotionally you're experiencing uh, panic or avoidance um, behaviorally you know you are um you're uh, physically moving away from it potentially, but um, uh, you're choosing not to spend time working on it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's that, that effect where you see the difference between how people will respond and really what my work's all about is helping people understand how they can have that response that is facilitative and yeah. allows them to absolutely nail it, which is, I mean, if people are listening to this feeling like they can associate with both those different types of um, effects that pressure can have you know that's a very that's that's a very normal human thing to for us to all experience both those things and um, yeah it's about trying to figure out how to move towards that facilitative one 
it was interesting he said there are a couple of the different responses and one of them kind of rang true with me was choosing not to spend time on things <laughs> yeah feeling under yeah. pressure yeah but absolutely. yeah was, I guess what he's saying you know he's saying that people can either kind of attack it head on when they feel in pressure like literally moving towards it I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take on this challenge or the opposite way shy away from it withdraw from it and yeah that choosing not to spend time on things that I know are important absolutely <laughs> it's something that I know I do yeah um, so I feel you on that one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, avoidance as, as a coping mechanism when yeah. we're under pressure is uh, sometimes it's got its place and sometimes it, it works. But I think avoidance when under pressure it, uh, as an unhelpful coping mechanism and response or effect, you know, from the response is got to be one of the most common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're all human, right? Yeah, so. exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, pressure can be good then. I guess is what you're saying here. Pressure can be a uh, facilitative or kind of motivational uh, force. So, you know, tell me a little bit about that. You know, like, yeah. give, give me some examples of maybe um, when you've seen that in sport, when somebody's been under pressure and kind of really, really pulled it out of the bag. Yeah. I look at pressure as something that that is there to bring out our best. You know, when we, we, you know, we can talk about butterflies in the stomach, you know, mm. um, when that gets to the point of feeling sick, like we're going to vomit, that's probably a, approaching the point that might be um, too far. It might, it might not be because I'm... Um, there's, there's some examples, aren't there, of people who kind of yeah. throw up and it's, it's a positive thing for exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. Um, but that gives you a threshold of like, you know, that's probably the upper boundary and then anything below that, um, is is probably that facilit- facilitative space or I mean you, you can't say in absolute so I, I want to be careful about not speaking in absolutes but g- generally speaking on that biological level we're probably talking about an amount of those internal butterflies that make you feel like activated you feel like your blood's pumping you feel um, up for it um, on, the, on that but on that physiological biological level you know you're feeling those sensations um, on the emotional level Probably if we were to speak generally about people, it might be fair to say from my experience that on an emotional level, people would um, be more inclined to to associate a facilitative um, um, experience as an effect of of that pressure response as being kind of excitement, um, a little bit of nerves as well. That's certainly um, within the realms of facilitative. Um, motivated. So this is just kind of interpreting that experience and those feelings as, like you say, something positive, something to be excited about rather than something to be fearful of. Exactly. Exactly. Because so if we're we're just, you know, sticking on that emotional level, you can imagine that you've got what, you know, anxiety is is an emotion that comes from the amygdala. We're talking about the, um, that um, grouping of emotions that you'd put fear, anxiety, worry, you've got those. And then you've got the, the same type of emotional experience, um, with the same sort of intensity, but it's more, uh, about being excited, about being, you know, nervous in a good way, about being, um, aware of like a level of activation of 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 adrenaline and what that feels like um uh, like emotionally if i can if i can say that like like that drive sort of feeling that's that's the word i wanted so it's not about somebody who deals with pressure well experiencing certain emotions or doing certain things it's more about them experiencing what they're experiencing but interpreting that in a much more facilitative or, or positive, if you want to use that word, kind of way. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair to say. Um, I think, 
you're articulating in a very nice way what most literature is saying and, and right. very much what we would want to promote as well. Um, and, you know, if we're, if we're saying you've got a response that happens on an emotional level, a biological level, um, and then you've got an effect of, of that response to pressure, the idea would be that most people would want to have that effect be those positive emotions. But as you are articulating, really the idea behind um, managing pressure is that even if we have the grouping of responses that I described that people might associate as being more negative, such as um, worry, fear and anxiety, the idea is that, uh, and, and, and literature and research supports, that it's how we actually relate to that experience that is the more important thing. Yeah. And we're just talking about the emotional, you know, we've still got the cognitive bit as well that you bring in. So no matter what level we're talking about, the idea is how you relate to that, to the to the effects of, of the response that you have. So how I relate to the amount of adrenaline I have on the biological level, how I relate to the emotional response I have, be that anxiety or excitement, how I relate to the cognitive experience I have, be that I want to attack this versus, oh, I'm not sure about this. No matter what we have, whether it's anxiety or excitement, we're aware of that relationship and of that um, way that we're interpreting it and, and um, in such a way that we can still go about doing the behaviour that we desire, which would be nailing it, you know, yeah. uh, coping, um, smashing it and that kind of thing. Brilliant. It's kind of almost kind of uh, uh, like ACT principles, isn't it? It's kind of mindful awareness and acceptance of the emotion or thought or feeling or whatever it is, yeah. but then committing to action and doing the thing that's important to you anyway, regardless. So I really like Absolutely, what you said there yeah. about the, the relationship that people have with with their sort of cognitions and behaviours and, 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 yeah. and emotions. Just one thing I'll add in there is, um, I, like, I think that it would be fair to say that some people, depending on where they are on their developmental journey, they might not actually be aware of the relationship that they have yet. Right. So they could be a young teenager who's an athlete, for example, um, that, that, that's still developing that level of meta-awareness of their own thoughts and feelings, you know, which takes just takes time to, to, to become, uh, grow aware to those things. You don't necessarily need that uh, level of awareness of the relationship that I have but you're increase. I believe you're increasing the probability and chances of delivering a good outcome and coping if you do have that level of meta awareness. But I just wanted to to throw in that yeah, no, that it's you know because it, we're kind of talking about developmental milestones um, and that level of awareness that um, that is is amazing to have, but might not always be where everyone's at. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of add that I guess bit that in. comes with a lot of experience yeah. and kind of reflection yeah. and yes. introspection, I suppose. hundred percent. Well. Yeah, exactly. So w one of the things that, that gets thrown around a lot in, in sport, certainly, uh, and in life as well, are these kind of ridiculous metaphors that we have. And I've kind of set this up by calling it ridiculous. But w one of them is that, that diamonds are created under pressure. I'm sure you've heard this, right? You know, which is lovely, but diamonds also crack if they're tapped in just the wrong place when there's kind of internal stress, right? So as a psychologist, I just wonder what you think about this, this concept, this notion 
that like pressure is this universally good thing that just creates people who are you know diamonds who just respond to pressure in in in, in really adaptive ways. I just wonder what your thoughts were about about that. The idea of pressure training, which is exposing yourself to pressure so that you can learn how to manage it and deliver, be that in sport, which is what, what how we apply it, but also business or um, you know whatever domain you work in. Um, the idea is that uh, it, it comes from medical inoculation, which is the uh, introduction of a, a virus or um, a bug or some kind of foreign agent to the body that would be a threat to the body in a small amount that then allows you to, your immune system to learn how that virus works so that then when you're exposed to a full amount you are uh, completely immune to it and in that you can see that when it comes to inoculation medically inoculation these days is very different where they'll 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 take the virus and they'll actually genetically remove components that yeah. make it so able to like actually very dormant, yeah, yeah, yeah dormant exactly yeah. but it, uh, initially it, it was just a small amount of the actual virus mm. um you know we're, we're talking about 100 years ago when you didn't have the technology we've got now mm. and you could see from that that if you were to expose a patient to the small amount that would then allow their immune system to learn how to respond to a full-blown normal exposure you know that's a an amount that's appropriate but if you expose them to the full-blown virus then you know their system would get overwhelmed the idea in in pressure and pressure training and exposure to pressure and pressures making diamonds would be exactly the same where you could conceive of an amount of pressure that would be the right amount to have um, a, a response across the different levels that we've spoken about that was facilitative and led to growth and development. And that might involve an initial dip in emotion, um, in biology. Uh, so like a, a, the, the challenge was so difficult that, you know, you need to recover, you need to sleep. You need, yeah, you might, you might dip, you might not nail the challenge at first, and that can still be part of a facilitative overall exposure process to pressure. But there is an amount which is going to be too much and it's important to know that that exists and it's about trying to understand how we create environments that are in that sweet spot so you know to use your language um, we're leaning into the you know the positive message and narrative that sits behind pressure makes diamonds whilst not using that as a um, as a as a universal rule uh, yeah, that yeah. Uh, allows us to just expose people um, willy-nilly or see pressure as being something that there isn't too much of. This is the 80% Mental Podcast and I'm here with Dr. Mike Stoker from the UKSI. Um, we've been talking about pressure training. So we've been exploring what pressure is, how people maybe respond to pressure. Um, been talking about the relationship that people have with their emotions and thoughts and maybe even some of the behaviors that they exhibit when under pressure. Um, and it's been a fascinating conversation so far. I'd love to know what you think about it. So you can tweet us at EPM podcast. I can't remember their own Twitter handle. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at 80% mental. 
Relief is positive. Yeah, or you can have a look on the website. <laughs> uh, you can have a look on the website, uh, 80percentmental.com. You can leave us a comment there uh, while you subscribe so you don't miss out on any amazing future content. Um, Mike, just before uh, the break there, we were talking a little bit about this idea of kind of creating pressure or pressure being sort of this universal force for good and creating diamonds. And you were explaining how the origins of pressure and pressure training are more about kind of the systematic exposure to small amounts of pressure so that somebody can then learn how to adapt and, and function well under pressure, right? So obviously you wrote the PhD on pressure training. Um, how might we create pressure? You know, you kind of explain about what pressure training is. Like how might we go about doing that on a, on a sort of practical level? Yeah, so so from the research that we've done, and uh, like you say, I did a I did a PhD on it, and then um, after me, we had um, an amazing PhD uh, student who's who's finished now, um, William Lowe. Billy, he did some amazing work continuing what we did, looking into this stuff, and. He's actually now got a PhD student who he's taken on, a guy called uh, Gavin Byron, who is potentially going to be furthering um, some of this pressure work. But what we know is that demands and consequences are fundamentally important to creating pressurized training environments. So by demands, what we're we talking about, so we're talking about your sort of Newell's model of constraints, the individual, the task, the environment. What is that presenting in terms of what you must do? And that demand element is, is important because it shapes the level of challenge that, that, that is presented to that person in that performance environment. Now, the other aspect that I mentioned there is consequences. And, um, that's the, you know, that's, that's the word that we use. And what, what sits behind that is, the way in which there are things that make that training session really meaningful. Um, and so we, we talk about those as consequences um, and we look at those scientifically in, in terms of consequences because those are things we can control and manipulate, manipulate in the scientific sense. And we split those up into rewards. So essentially something positive that will happen as a as a consequence of how one performs in that training session or um, in whatever performance environment it is that you're in um, forfeits uh, something undesirable something undesired that will happen as a consequence and um, and that could be anything from something involving some sort of social um, interaction with people to uh, one team that we worked with had uh, decided that their their forfeit if they didn't deliver would be that in the middle of play I won't say I won't you know I, I can't be I don't want to say too much but in the middle of play if they did something that was not how they wanted to respond under pressure and would therefore have to receive a forfeit they had to turn their back and face away from the arena that they, their team would be playing on in training so they had no idea what was happening and couldn't support their their team so, um, so they got sent to the naughty corner yeah essentially they got yeah they, they decided to put themselves on the okay, on the naughty yeah. corner yeah um uh, so that would be an example of a forfeit yeah. um and again you know like i i'll touch on this here but I'm, i was going to touch on it later it's it's a, it's a it's individual 
Um, that's the most fundamental stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the most fundamental uh, component to this stuff. Um, and we can come back to that. But this to them was was dire, something that, that you did not want to happen because of the way that the, the values of this team, the way that they interacted with each yeah. other, the way that they connected. If you were doing that, you were disconnected. Again, to some, to someone listening to this, it might sound inconsequential, but to them, this was this was like the the red nuclear button. Um, and anyway, that's forfeit. And then the last one is judgment. So, how do you manipulate the perception of being judged whilst performing? So that could be um, through well, you know, significant people whose judgment matters. Um, so, if we're talking about sport, we're talking about performance director, head coach. Um, if we're in other domains, it might be your line manager, your boss, it could be family members. Um, but judgment in sport can also include things like leaderboards. So you can see how people are getting on directly against each other in the middle of training and other things that make direct comparison more transparent. So if you using biofeedback that shows heart rate on the in real time, you know, that would be an element of judgment. So you could compare how people are yeah, biologically yeah. responding and getting on and managing with the pressure. Um, so that so those elements there, those de- uh, summarizing that you've got the, the de- those demand elements um, and those consequence elements. Those are what we focus on to create those pressurized environments. So you've got these consequences being rewards, forfeits, and judgment, right? And you, you mentioned that this is very individual, so you can't kind of take one uh template of pressure training and just download it into a different sport or a different domain okay so it has to be very individual i guess what i want to know is if we if we if we're using things like these consequences which could be like a forfeit or yeah. it could be judgment yeah how can we do that ethically because you know i i think back to some of the consequences of not doing something you know uh, in some of the training sessions i used to do and 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 the perhaps maybe considered unethical especially in today's climate um talk to me a bit about that how can we how can we create pressure ethically yeah the starting point has to be holding at the crux of it all that that there is a responsibility to condition athletes mentally in the same way that there is a responsibility by their coaching team to condition them physically. Mm. So I think that has to sit at the at the start of of everything that you do when it comes to pressure training. So just as a co- just as it would be unethical for a coach to put an athlete in a judo fight when they weren't conditioned physically to be able to take on that opponent, um you know, they they could get steamrolled, they could get injured, they could, you know, rip an Achilles, anything could happen because they're not conditioned to be able to take that on. And there's that responsibility physically for that coach and, and the coaching team around them, the nutritionist, um, the, the physio, everyone to make sure that they are prepared for that and conditioned, you know, for that. Mm. But that exists on the, on the psychological level as well, on the mental level. If we say mental level, and then that could split up into the psychological, but also like the intellectual, so like tactical, for example. Across all those intellect, um, mental components, there is a responsibility to to cover those bases too, and that uh, needs to sit at the crux of everything we do. So when we're looking at the idea of, you know, conditioning someone to be able to manage pressure, whether that be to manage pressure as well as they currently are and maintain that ability, or to improve. It's built on the idea that there 
is a responsibility to make sure that the athlete has a level of conditioning mm -hmm. that will allow them to not be overwhelmed and have a, a negative outcome from being exposed to what they will be exposed to when they go to competition. Yeah. So that has to sit at the heart of everything. Um, I, I, I yeah. like that because I think a lot of people looking at sport from the outside might not necessarily start at that position. Yeah. yeah. Where actually we, we have a sort of moral and ethical yeah. responsibility to prepare yeah. athletes for these kind of high pressure environments. So I, I, I really Absolutely. like the way you described that. Then. Yeah. As times change and culture develops, you know, we've moved from, for example, it being okay to use um, a physical reprimand in schools and now that would be seen as absolutely abhorrent and in fact it's illegal to you know for parents even at home now in um yeah yeah i know in scotland um to to hit children and the climate that changes uh climates change and we we've seen that in sport in you know even over the last decade where there's been an evolution of the culture around um what is appropriate for um athletes to experience when it comes to the level of um, physical demand placed upon them and the level of psychological demand placed upon them and that you know there isn't a right or a wrong when it comes to culture there's only what it is cultures that you get inside sport are just a reflection of what's going on in, in the wider world so it's about it's about understanding where culture is right now in sport in terms of what's appropriate when it comes to that amount of exposure uh, when it comes to exposure itself and how what amount is appropriate so tying that together I, I guess I'm saying we've got that crux which is there is a responsibility to be able to, exp uh, to, to expose athletes to condition them psychologically so that when they come to competition they're not going to be overwhelmed and it's not going to have a negative effect um, but also we have to make sure that it's done in a way that reflects current culture and current practice. Mm. Um, and if we do that, then it will be highly effective and it will help people grow and be better. And if we get that wrong, well, then there can be dire consequences to that. So it's, yeah. you know, I often say it's um, pressure training isn't something that you could do as a, as a, as a bolt on if you've got extra time or extra resource. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe you could, if you're doing an intervention in sport, as a sports psych, you could maybe bolt on some um, self-talk. You can't bolt on pressure training yeah. for those Embedded reasons that I just the, said. Within the culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so thinking about that then, um, and, and you mentioned earlier about it being, the, you know, the, the, the rewards, the consequences, the judgment being very uh, culture dependent. So what yeah. might be seen as a yeah. forfeit for one yeah. group might not be for somebody else. It's yeah. very so like how might a coach um, or maybe a coach working alongside a psychologist, you know, how might you start to, to, to build pressure training into what you, into what you do? Yeah. Obviously, it's, like you said, it's not, a, it's not kind of just an add-on or a bolt-on. Like where might a coach and a psych start this process? Yeah, so like you said, you know, culturally, it's got to be appropriate for that environment and um what we can add to that is it's got to be athlete centered and athlete driven as well so the athletes have to own it they have to be bought in they have to be um almost kind of driving it that's the ideal and when you identify the consequences and we can get into you know a little bit about how you might do that um they 
are being identified by the athletes themselves that are going to be exposed to them because of that individual element that we mentioned where it has to be bespoke. So if you're working with an athlete or a team of athletes, they're choosing their own stresses that they'll be exposed to that's going to create that pressure. They're choosing what they're going to be exposed to in the in the pressure training session. And therefore, you know, they have to be genuinely in ownership of coming up with those things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not even enough to say that just if they choose it, then that means that we've got the ethical bit because there could be, you know, pressure put upon them, yeah. you know, socially, non-verbally to choose certain stresses that are of a, you know, a high level or a certain um, intensity that they actually don't want to be. So it, it really has to be that they are driving it, they are choosing it and they are owning it and they are wanting to be exposed to pressure because they understand that need to be mentally conditioned. Um, so as a coach, you're looking to, without getting into the operational aspects, which what we can do, and that's where I'd say ideally you could work alongside a psych, but mm. say to that higher level, what we're talking about is um, getting athletes on board for the, the idea of, of, the, of what I've called that crux of that mentally conditioning, um, psychologically conditioning yourself so that they're totally bought into the idea of choosing to be exposed to stresses yeah. at will f for the promise of that then allowing them to condition, develop, grow, and then a process of identifying with that individual or group of individuals what those stresses would be that would be appropriate for them to ex expose them to the amount of pressure that they deem to be appropriate for them. And we, we spoke about demands. Um, so that's where you, uh, you know, choose the actual training exercise that they did and how hard or how easy that would be. But then, uh, potentially more importantly, as our research suggests, those consequences. So you'd be introducing that, uh, those forfeits, those rewards or those judgments through that collaborative process with the athletes to, um, that they've, that you've done to identify what they are happy to be exposed to that would get that right amount of pressure. Yeah. So I, I guess there has to be consensus at all levels here um, in terms of what the stresses are going to be, what the demands are going to be, but also these consequences. So, you know, for example, going to the naughty corner might work for <laughs> yeah. one athlete, but another athlete might find that really, um, I don't know, maybe triggering or, yeah. or, or, or quite something that they don't really want to do or, yeah. you know, uh, singing a nursery rhyme in front of the rest of the group. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. That, you know, for, so yeah. for some athletes that might be really, you know, um, like they really, really don't want to do that. Yeah. So I guess there has to be consensus about these rewards and uh, forfeits and, and, and judgment as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you, you know, you mentioned kind of a coach doing this with the psych. Uh, what would be the psychologist's role here? Like, how do you get that consensus? How do you sort of build um, like pressure training into it, into an environment? Yeah. So I just want to quickly pull on what you said there because it's, it's, it's absolutely right. Um, so just quickly touching on, you know, you gave, I gave an example of a team that would be would have a forfeit where they'd have to turn their back and not look at yeah. play. I, I'm being playful when I'm saying no, I'm yeah. standing in the naughty corner. But I'm, yeah, 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 no, but no, but I think you're touching on a really important point, which is um, that that would be right for some environments, and in other environments, it could be either. Uh, like you say, it could be triggering for someone. You know, you get such complex combinations of psych of different personality types yeah. across all sports and people that there could be someone out there that that that, that would feel like they're being um that ex excluded, excluded yeah, yeah. right yeah. um and they don't want to and that they haven't signed up for that potentially um and then you get someone else 
where that would just be so inconsequential that they didn't even feel anything and thought it's a waste of their time. Yeah. So that just speaks to it having to be individual for the for the for the people for the team and and bearing in mind culture and what's appropriate. You know, in, in a in a for a rugby team, a social consequence of having to sing on TikTok would be something that would be <laughs> ten years ago that would be ridiculed as being you know easy. Well, there wasn't TikTok back then, but yeah, you know yeah. something social where they have to like take you know take take the mick out of themselves would be nothing to the, to a team like that, but. Uh, these days in a different team that could be completely inappropriate so just wanted to touch on that point how accurate that was to to put things in context that it's not about there being um it's about taking into consideration culture and the individuals or the team and what's appropriate within that environment um now you were talking about how to bring in a psych um or where a psych would have a role in this so um, I, ideally, a psych would play a fundamental role in working alongside the coach and, and alongside the athletes. So this is as an intervention that a sports psych might do, a very coach-dominant intervention mm-hmm. uh, and a resource-heavy intervention because, um, you know, you're looking, first of all, for the coach and for the psychologist to be working together to identify the broader picture of what's trying to be achieved here. You know, if it's one athlete, if say it's a tennis um, player who's incredibly successful and has, you know, a team around them, um, you know, what you're trying to um, achieve with that one individual would look a certain way based on are you trying to keep them conditioned to pressure because and they're already where they want to be? Are you responding to them having um, not performed well in a recent um, competition and therefore you've identified that there's some ground that you need to cover? Um do you are you in a position where they're currently managing pressure really well, but you're identifying a future step up in a level of competition that they've never been exposed to, which you think will involve uh, a jump in what they're going to be exposed to? So you need to cover that ground in that way. So you're looking at that broader picture of where you're trying to get to and what you're trying to achieve to give you a sense of the direction and the aims. And if you're working with a team, that could look very different um, in terms of where you're trying to go. But it's, yeah, you're, you're trying to get the overall aim. And then within that, you could then go into what are your sort of markers of progression um, and, and development. So as well as um, when it's not going right and when things aren't going well. So if you're talking about one individual, you could talk about the different behaviors that they elicit when they're facil- in a facilitative sort of response under pressure versus uh, de- debilitative or uh, if you're talking about a team you know you could look at the same behaviors amongst the team how they communicate um, but you know you're starting to pick out measures that you can use to benchmark if you're moving in the right direction or the wrong direction obviously it goes much more granular and high resolution than yeah, this but you know these are the, the broad principles and then after that then you're moving into the, the stage of trying to identify what pressure training you will actually do and like I mentioned, it's that, it's that um, cooperative process with the athletes where the psychologist, uh, I mean, the psychologist will come in really in handy when it comes to the identifying of those markers of success behaviorally, but then especially in this second part of identifying the um, the uh, stresses that are going to be used. We have, we have a model that kind of t- actually takes you through a step-by-step process that we've developed, which you can look up in, in any of our, pa- uh, well, um, it's uh, it's in... 
Uh, it's in my first paper, which is like 2016, um, creating pressurized oh, training um, environments. I'll put links yeah. to the papers in yeah. the episode description. Okay, so if, if people want to kind of go and look it up, then absolutely you can, you can go and do that. Perfect. And, and Billy is, uh, he's leading on publishing of another piece of work, uh, that the, the whole team, including, uh, Joe Bart and Ian Maynard. We've been working on most recently this piece, which is about, uh, identifying a more longitudinal intervention that you do. So you could reference, uh, when this comes out, I'd, I'd um, suggest people could check it out if they want to know. But yeah. coming back to, to what I was saying, um, yeah, you, you, the psych plays that fundamental role in, in eliciting those stresses because we're talking about a real sensitive process here of yeah. sitting down with people and going, you know, what is going to you know, press your buttons to, to the right amount? And that can be hard to elicit what the right amount is. And, you know, so psychology skills come in handy um, and therefore the psychologist driving this and leading this could be fundamental to make sure you get that appropriate amount of pressure and in both directions because you don't want to undercook it and yeah. then it'd be a waste of time and i i guess there's also uh, uh, i think you sort of briefly touched on this just then there has to be an element of scaffolding as well here right because it's not just enough to elicit those stressors okay we're going to expose you to pressure and then just see what happens yeah there has to be an, an element of the the okay well what can we work on to help you deal with this pressure like what are some of the maybe skills that you can you can develop or uh, ways of responding to that. So there has to be that scaffolding as well, rather than just you know throwing somebody in front of a bus and seeing what they do, right? Exactly. Yeah, you you need to be able to know as to the best of your ability what a good response is. Now, good might not be um, that they nail the task at hand or the demands, right? So say you know that it's a it's a three throw and they um, have to get seven out of ten and they're exposed to these pressures. Um, good might be that they only get um, five and they, they needed to get seven. So they are going to get the consequence. However, they handled the, the pressure well in terms of they were still on other markers of success. They would, they did well. You know, they, they report that emotionally they didn't feel overwhelmed. Um, their hands didn't get too clammy physically. Um, and psychologically, they felt like they wanted to attack, you know, just that they didn't get the seven. Um, so, so what I'm saying is um, what good looks like can be not delivering and not nailing it and maybe still getting the forfeit um but you want to identify what good looks like and then obviously what 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 not good looks like and put the, that scaffolding or those support metrics in place to ensure that you can respond appropriately either way so if things are going in the wrong direction you can understand why and what's happening and see, spot that early um such as um you know debriefing it afterwards with the psychologist for example and then lowering the amount of pressure or changing some of the coping mechanisms that were available to the person so say for example a pause button in the middle of the pressure training you know they can they can say pause and just take a pause moment you know that would be adding something in that would make it easier for example yeah um, that would speak to that scaffolding that you're referencing so that would be the kind of like measuring it and marking it and then um knowing what good looks like and then it's about that iterative process of repeating it and repeating it so that you uh you know however many times it is you identified you might need to you know just like getting three exposures to um an inoculation you know how many exposures do you need to get to get that conditioning is it and that's you know different it's probably fair to say that we need regular exposure to pressure if we're going to be delivering under um pressure um but exactly how much that is is you know you can't really put an exact number without getting into the details of a sport.
This is the 80% Mental Podcast. I'm Dr. Pete Olushagar. I'm sitting here on my living room floor with Dr. Mike Stoker, and we've been talking about pressure training. Um, Mike, you didn't know about this, but I've got a new segment on the podcast. And as well as talking about, you know, the topic that the guests um, are here to talk about, I also would like to get to know my guests a little bit more. Okay. Um, are you up for playing my get to know you game? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I've got four uh, envelopes virtual envelopes and they've got different sets of questions okay so we've got deep and meaningful we've got have you ever either or or the last time so i'm going to get you to virtually choose a number between well not virtually choose a number you can actually choose a number between one and four and okay. i will virtually pull up a set of questions for you so i choose uh, number two one, choose four? Number between right, one four. and four four okay uh Lucky number right um we've got um the last time no we haven't got the last time we've got deep and meaningful Ooh. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean some of them are deep and meaningful some of them are less deep and meaningful but let's go let's, let's uh <laughs> kick off with um oh this is a good one actually what's the best meal you've ever had oh wow uh, i'm a like a barbecue kind of guy yeah. um Texas barbecue is my absolute favorite um, kind of meals. Um, so <clears throat> it would have to be at uh, Smoke, which is in Sheffield. Um, okay. It's just like, sorry to all the vegan people out there. <laughs> I'm just like turning off um, hundreds of your listeners. Um, but yeah, the, I just I absolutely adore um, that smoked meat, like ribs, yeah, yeah. Um, sausage, Lincoln sausage, um, but also like Frankfurt kind of sausage. Yeah. Right. So that would be my, uh, that's my absolute favorite meal. I want to, I want to go to America and just like get a bus and just drive around <laughs> Texas and just try all the different places. That's, yeah. that's a dream. That sounds, do, you, do you barbecue yourself or you kind of like I do, yeah. under the grill? Yeah. I've got like a nice big one that we get out in the summer and uh, we get everyone around. Um, but I need to up my game. Um, so I've started watching those on Netflix. There's, um, like barbecue competitions. Oh, in yeah, yeah, Have you yeah, seen yeah, them? Yeah. 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 So I, I need to get, get, my, get up my game, I think. Favorite movie that you can watch over and over and over again? Um, okay. <laughs> this is going to sound so bad, <laughs> but it's probably uh, Toy Story. Okay. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> basically uh, I'm of an age where that was, uh, that came out when I was uh, as a that kid. That was your kid movie. Yeah, right? that was my okay. kid movie. And. Um, just absolutely loved uh, Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, he just he, <laughs> yeah, like that sort of actiony kind of uh, guy that could fly around. And I used to know all the words to it. Um, I don't think I'd know all the words now, sadly. Um, and I, to be fair, I've not watched it for a long time, so I don't know if I could. Oh, I bet you would. Uh, yeah, I probably come straight back. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I don't have any. Movie, I don't tend to watch the same films over and over. I kind of prefer always watching something new and not coming back to it but re more recently um i've been watching the you know the dune films yes yeah like i've watched that first one a good few times because the second one's coming out soon yeah, so yeah. i guess there are some i'm like a thriller i mean apart from toy story <laughs> <laughs> oh the lion king thriller I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah um i mean yeah i'm, I'm generally like a psychological thriller yeah. kind of movie guy oh, so okay. anything that's along those lines i could watch a few yeah. times um mine's predator oh okay so, nice so there we go nice uh, slightly <laughs> different story. that's um, a good choice uh, 
so so given given that you are the technical lead for the UKSI, you might not want to answer this, but I was going to ask you what's the wildest thing you've ever done that you are willing to admit um, to? Wildest thing I've ever done. Uh, yeah, just trying to think what's what's appropriate. <laughs> what, what what's, you can say um, on uh, on mic. Um. <laughs> Is that appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, we can we can we can skip that one. Wait, really give, me, give me another second. Here. Right. You can you can cut out some of the pauses if you want. Um, I guess in some ways it's a bit wild, a bit a bit crazy. Uh, I basically stopped all private work that I was doing. As you mentioned, technical lead, uh, I'm on the technical lead team, there's five of us, so I do that sort of two and a half days a week. But the other yeah. half of the week, I basically stopped everything I was doing and just started trading cryptocurrencies okay. about a year and a half ago, yeah. um, which, you know, it is worked out incredibly well, but, um, uh, you know, took a major, like, dive into the unknown and yeah, yeah. huge risk attached to to it. And, you know... That's pretty That's pretty t- wild. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty wild. It's, 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 you know, it's not... It's not too um, provocative, wild, but it's like no. you know, as far as being thirty-seven and a bit boring and a bit <laughs> routines goes, you know, that's probably that's the wildest thing I've done recently. Yeah. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I like it. Um, something that you've always wanted to excel at, but never got around to. Um, I'd say either language or music. Um, at music uh, musically I'm okay I've got a couple tunes I can do on the piano I've got more that I can do on the guitar um, I can do a bit of a jam with people but I never learned how to read music mm. I always really wanted to learn the theory um, and yeah maybe one day I'll come back to that so either that or languages I, I, I my mum was born in Germany and spoke German her whole family was German and uh so I've got a propensity to um, understand and learn it quite well, but I've never leaned into it. Like, yeah, I, yeah. for example, when I was a kid, I had German friends. I went on holiday with them for two weeks, and um, by the end of it, I w- I'd, I'd learned quite a lot in a very short space of time okay. because of the fact that you know my grandma spoke German to me and some of those foundations. Yeah. So um, that's the propensity bit there, but I know I've not never lent into any of that. So I always feel a bit ignorant, not knowing any other languages. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be one thing that be, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's a good thing to be able to, if I you visit so, other yeah. countries to speak some of that. Their oh, language. Definitely. definitely. Um, mo- <laughs> most unpopular opinion that you're willing to argue on. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, you got any controversial opinions? You know what? I probably do. Um, I think it's it's probably the you know so my my general approach to to psychology is based on you know a lot of influence coming from looking into pressure and managing pressure and the positive benefit that pressure gives us and um through that uh you know I've been influenced to have quite a um that a sort of um, 
Newtonian perspective on how the sciences work, kind of like stimulus response, like, you know, Newton's cradle, like one ball hits another, like quite deterministic mm. as opposed to kind of like systems theory. Um, or, you know, although systems theory approaches solution focused nudge, that stuff does influence how I, you know, how I see the world and how I work. Uh, I think at the heart, there is very much that kind of like stimulus response look at things where, um, I've, I'm, and, through that, I think I've got a perspective that, you know, life is about um, exposing yourself to challenges. It is about working hard. It is about trying to be better tomorrow than you were, you know, the day before, comparing yourself to yourself. And mm. I think in, in modern climates, and we've, we've been talking about culture changing and evolving, yeah. um, there's been, um, you know, an, an evolution in the way in which people are comfortable in um exposing themselves to um challenges in their life there's been an evolution in the way that people are um, more sensitive to the world around them and the challenges that 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 presents to them um and you know i'm I'm talking at a sort of high level because i almost don't want to dive into it too deeply but i like the fact that you've gone really highbrow there because my my controversial opinion would have been that <laughs> custard should be banned um but you, you've gone com- completely the opposite way there <laughs> oh god about, but it's, it's fine oh god um, but it must that, sound like such a deep no but I, I appreciate you kind of sharing that opinion uh with me it's a, it's a, it's a conversation i'd love to have with you another time um all right la- last <laughs> Last one then, Mike. Oh, I'm such a doofus. Last one. Last one. Last one. Um, dinner with five people, alive or dead. Dinner with five people. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I love martial arts, so I'd probably have Tom Aspinall. He's the current um, heavyweight champion from Leeds. Um, I would have uh, Jordan Peterson because uh, he's a psychologist and he has some interesting perspectives which I like to listen to to be able to see where I position against that so I've got a benchmark if you know what I mean yeah you know you know like when someone linking to what I was just saying you know someone says certain things that 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 make sense uh, and certain things that don't and so, you know, it's, you, you want to have conversation with those people because it helps you make sense of your okay. own perspective. Yeah. Um, I'd have, I, I like politics. So who would I get? I'd probably get Keir Starmer. I was going to go, I was going to go Rishi Sunak because he's prime minister, but I'd go Keir Starmer because uh, it looks like times are changing potentially, uh, judging by how recent by-elections have gone. Um, and uh, he would be an interesting conversation to have. So that's three um, I would go uh, Margot Robbie because she's very hot, <laughs> and she's also a very, very talented actress. <laughs> yeah, just, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't disagree. Um, and last one would be my dog Rudy, although it's not a person, but he just deserves to be there. Yeah, he's getting older now. I'm, tr- you know, I'm trying to give him a, a good last couple of years to his life so he can come to the dinner table and hang out with these these famous people and have some of your texas barbecue yeah, scraps yeah, just, he's not getting any <laughs> <laughs> well mike thank you for uh, for playing the getting to know you game that i still haven't got a name for 
Uh, appreciate your, your honesty and your candour. Thank you, mate. So this is the 80% Mental Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Mike Stoker. We've been talking about pressure training. Uh, it's been a really, really good conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I, I've just got like one question left if you've got time. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I guess thinking about all of the stuff that we've talked about today, about pressure, about pressure training, about the role of the coach and the psychologist, you know, if, if I wanted to take some of these aspects of pressure training into my life as a normal human being so not an elite athlete just somebody going about their, their day-to-day business how might i get better at dealing with with pressure just as a, on a normal sort of day-to-day yeah, person yeah. because, because person. we all experience pressure yeah. you know i have like a presentation tomorrow yeah. or a bit of homework that he's doing or yeah. you know uh, kids to look after that's pressure yeah you know? yeah um how, how can an ordinary everyday life person kind of get better at dealing with pressure yeah, so first of all, I'd start by saying try to um, get to the point where you can foster the idea that pressure in the right amount is, is good. So if, if that's your starting point, then the next bit will be relevant. And if you're not starting there, then I would say make that your goal to try figure out how you can get to that point, mm. which could be potentially easy or hard. Some people might not be, some people might be, not responding well to pressure and find it overwhelming um, in small amounts and that caused them to not even want to desire to make their worldview change that pressure is a good thing Um, but if you can try to explore that yourself to find out why that might be the case uh, there could be some good answers f- for you there in terms of therefore going on to change that perspective to seeing pressure as um, in the in the right amount of good thing, mm-hmm. um, not least because it exists in the world and you know we are all you know evolutionary speaking you know organisms that are uh, exposed to the environment around us in a way that is chaotic and makes no sense and we can't completely control. Um, so you know best to. Uh, align with what can happen which is that the world can be completely random you can get exposed to extreme amounts of pressure at at any moment and um, whilst we have a certain amount of control we can't always control that so just building yourself to be able to absorb that as often as it does happen is only going to lead to success so that'd be the first thing second thing i'd say is if you can get to that point where you see it as a good thing then try to um, uh, understand what uh, where you are experiencing it in amounts that is too much and why that might be. Um, and if you identify areas where you're experiencing too much pressure, where, you know, it's, so it's having, having a negative effect um, on your performance at work or your, like, your parenting, like you said, or if you play sport uh, or if you're in business, um, try to identify what it is about that situation that is... Uh, causing it to be unhelpful for you is it that the the stressor itself is very large and you can chunk it up and break it up into, into smaller components is it that that can't be done and so therefore it's about how you respond to it and the coping skills that you elicit to be able to manage it um, if you can break it up into those two things um, and uh, you know if it's if you can make it smaller make it more bite-sized split it up um, 
put it over um, a larger piece of time, the amount of exposure that you're getting, or if not, look at those coping mechanisms. You know, are you deploying unhelpful coping mechanisms such as avoidance, like we spoke about at the start? Mm -hmm. um, are you um, doing behaviours that are actually making it worse in the in the long term, such as? You know, some people might have a um, a beer or a couple beers at the end of the night when they get stress when they get stressed or they're under pressure. But then actually, that doesn't help them the next day, or their diet might go out the window because they end up working harder to try and you know perform to this project deadline or whatever it might be. But then the you know your diet's gone to pop, so then you're not feeling good. You're not exercising. You know, all these unhelpful coping mechanisms. Try mm -hmm. and identify what they are, and try and identify what helpful coping mechanisms would be instead. What can you replace them for that would allow you to manage this better? Um, and it's always going to start, uh, it's going to feel hard at the start to implement these things, but then very quickly you'll start to feel that um, a shift. So it's, if you can get that first that first step towards doing something different, that's the hardest bit. Yeah. And that would, that broadly speaking, that would be my advice. <laughs> well, 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 Dr. Mike Stoker, um, thank you so much for... Um, First of all, coming to my house <laughs> to do the podcast. But yeah, really appreciate you kind of coming on today to talk to us about pressure, your area of expertise and kind of some of the ways that people might might cope better with pressure. If, if people wanted to reach out to you, uh, where would they be able to do that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you can reach me, Dr. Mike Stoker, on Twitter. Um, and that's probably the best way. I don't actually use Twitter that much, but I do every couple of weeks go and check it out yeah. um oh, add me on linkedin as well if you just search for mike stoker i should come up great we'll put those in the description so if you did want to reach out to mike to discuss any of the stuff around pressure then uh, feel free to, to to do that go and check out the episode description um well this has been a, a great conversation about pressure and about pressure training and if you would like to leave a comment you can do so on Twitter at EPM Podcast. You can do so on Instagram at 80% Mental. Or you can uh, go and have a, a look on the website, 80%Mental.com. Uh, don't forget to listen and subscribe so you don't miss out on any other uh, fantastic episodes. And you can check out our back catalogue as well. All the episodes that we've done so far from Series 1, 2, and 3 are available for you to listen to or download. Um, Mike, just before you unplug your microphone there, just want to say thanks so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And may I just say again, what a wonderful carpet this is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And I will see you next time. Well, I won't, I won't see you, though, because it's a podcast. Mm -hmm.